Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, earnings, the rally, and your money. It's a very big week for all of those. The Investment Committee debating what is at stake. Joining me for the hour, Shannon Sakosha, Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss. Let's check the market. Session highs for the S&P. I heard Carl talking about that. Dow is going for six up days in a row, coming off the best week since March. And what is obviously, Weiss, a pivotal week. Ed Yardeni today. The bull market started on October 12, 2022. The S&P reaching a new record high somewhere between 4,800 and 5,400, he says, is coming over the next 18 months. Jan Hatzius Goldman Sachs reduces the recession prediction from 25 to 20. The tide has turned. Tide has Twice. been turning. Tide has been turning. I'm, I'm cognizant <laughs> of it. Um, and uh, look, I mean, at this point, you know, I don't think it matters if there's a recession or not. I'm not going to say there's not going to be. And whether it's 25 percent or 20 percent, does that really matter? Um, so the market just wants to go higher. You know, you're looking towards the end of Fed easing. If it's not this uh, this last hike, if it's not this hike in July, it'll be the next one. Will be the end, and then people are going to want to just put more money in there. So they've got over five trillion on the sidelines, and uh, that's going to find a home, particularly with the yields having crested and coming down. So look, so I think there's a case to be bullish. I still think you have to be very careful. Wait, wait, wait. hold on, hold on, hold on. I did you just say? <laughs> I didn't say it was my case. I heard it. I think. I heard it. That, I think that, you said, I think there's a case to be bullish? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I forgot I have to talk so slow on this set. Um, yes. Wow. Um, what happened when I went to, to bullish. I came back and found you a new man? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, um, are you, I are you looking to, to see put, back there. Are you looking to but, put more money in the market? I haven't put money in the market and doing selectively, so I'm not all in yet. Um, I still have a lot of bonds. As I mentioned last week, I sold some of my treasuries uh, to fund some of my stock purchases. So I still think you have to be selective. Okay. And uh, there are places to go, but look, the market has been has been rolling uh, in terms of different sectors. Some haven't caught up. Some I don't think will catch up. I'm not so sure about the energy trade, and we can talk about that later. That later, yeah. But but tech, I think, could still do fine because even if tech misses, that's going to be the critical part for the market. You've got two events coming up. You've got a minor rebalancing. Will it be some selling pressure, primarily in Apple and Microsoft, from the rebalancing because it's gotten to be too big? Hey, unless you of already the had that. Right, 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 and and you could that, edge that it. could have accounted for some of the weakness of a couple of weeks ago. It could have. In, I think some people things. got it from it, but it, but a lot of index funds can't get in front of it like that. So they typically do it on the day, right? So that caught some pressure, uh, temporary. And, and then if they miss, starting next week, you really get the earnings. Get Netflix this week. But after that, that'll be the real tell in the market. But I think there's an appetite to buy them if they miss. A lot of people waiting to buy if they miss. All right. So, Shan, um, <clears throat> excuse me, is it, is it time to get a little more optimistic, right, as, as Yardeni is? Even, you know, he's, he's, 
He's been an outlier along the way in some respects, thinking that things were going to be better than a lot of others had, had expected. Now he says we can go to 5,400 over the next 18 months. Um, recession odds appear to be coming down in, in some important corners of Wall Street. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the recession odds piece, Scott, is the thing that we really need to focus on. And uh, I think the, the slowdown that we anticipated in this, it, for this year in the economy, as well as in earnings and in corporate results, really hasn't materialized as of yet. And I think there's a lot of people sitting in the same boat that we are. We're seeing strong nominal growth, um, which is certainly driving you know, bottom line as well, although we've continued to see some margin compression. If you think about those numbers, though, Scott, there's a couple of expectations that you really have to factor in. Number one, you have to anticipate to hit those numbers on the S&P 500 in terms of um, the multiple, because you'd have to see it in multiple expansion. Earnings aren't going to grow to justify that entirely. Uh, you'd have to expect that the slowing nominal growth that we would anticipate, because we're in a disinflationary scenario, would have to be supplanted or offset by stronger GDP and stronger secular growth. And if you look at the next six to nine months, I mean, I'm not going to go about out 18 months like, like Ed is. I think that that's sort of a different time horizon than we should be focused on right now. But in the next six to nine months, what is going to be the catalyst that's going to drive GDP growth to be you know, above 2%, to be able to justify offsetting that nominal sales slowdown. We've also had a couple of really good surprises in the first half of the year, Scott. We had AI, obviously, but we also had a less than desperate scenario in Europe in terms of energy. Um, and we've seen strong management execution, perhaps stronger than many of us thought, in an environment where a lot of Fortune 500 companies management teams do not have experience in this type of inflationary scenario. So if I'm looking out and sort of projecting where those expectations are, perhaps we've seen true, truly a delay in the economic slowdown that we, ex we anticipated. But is it canceled? Hard to say, especially with leading indicators still well, pointing towards that contraction. Joey, what, what might be you know, canceled is the earnings apocalypse, because it hasn't happened and it may not happen. Adam Parker today says the odds of a bear case for earnings are now far lower um, than many were anticipating at the beginning of the year. I think that's a very fair statement. Right now, estimates for Q2 are earnings declining by 8%. The whole idea here is that, you know, you, you go to a point where you think that the, the earnings have troughed and then expectations start to ramp up as you get closer and then into 2024. Yeah, that's the bull case. Well, I think in that... I think what you're suggesting is you throw out the potential for a U-shaped recovery and you give more validity that there's actually going to be the V-shaped recovery. And I, I think there's, a, there's enough in mega cap technology and consumer discretionary and what we expect to be reported for earnings that you'll be able to build in that cushion to where, yes, in fact, this is going to be the trough. I, I just think overall, Scott, when we talk about earnings, when we collectively talk about the environment, I feel as though the bears are speaking and analyzing last year's market. I feel like they're stuck in the past. I feel like they're not recognizing that the VIX is back at pre-pandemic levels, that the dollar is at a 14-month low, that the Fed fund's real rate has returned to positive territory after being negative 8% last year. So you kind of do this exercise and you say to yourself, well, if the S&P were to fall back 6.5% from where we are right now, that basically takes you somewhere around 41.75. All right, well, that's, that's a long distance away from the October lows. But how about the other way? 
If the S&P 500 rallies 6.5%, you're at a new all-time high. So I, I think what we've done is that we've re-instilled positive momentum, mm -hmm. which is very difficult to defeat in the marketplace. And I think we've built enough cushion on the downside, fueled by AI, mega cap technology support, to where you have to begin to think this is 2023. It's a totally different marketplace. Are there headwinds? Yes, there are. But you're not, let's, let's take the word apocalyptic and let's put it on the shelf, because that's not 2023. I don't think anybody's moved for apocalyptic lately. A lot of people are. Well, a lot of people are still calling for an apocalyptic scenario. And, and, and please don't take offense by my comments. I'm not directing them towards you, because no, I know, I know, that, I know, you I know you've been a buyer. But I keep hearing this overwhelming bearish analysis, and it's all rooted in the past. You, you, you see, the, the most troubling thing to me I don't look at it positively that the VIX is at 13, right, or, you know, in the teens. I look at that sort of like cautionary, because when it gets down to that level, and, you know, and when you've got complacency, I think by and large, there is complacency in the market. Obviously, you've had the Dow up a week in a row. You have the NASDAQ keep moving up. There's a sell-off, then it pops back up. So to me, we can talk about people that are overly bearish, but... Let's look at the real walk and where the money is. And now there's not been a, a huge level of activity because you're in the summer months. But still, the trend of the market's been up. But, Steve, if the VIX is at pre-pandemic levels from a portfolio management aspect, the insurance is ridiculously cheap. Right, right. 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 That's so, my point. So if you're so worried, you if you're concerned, it's cheap enough to buy the, the insurance. Should be buying I love the idea that Joe puts forth that this notion that, in his mind, the bears are stuck in the past that the reasons to be bearish have largely passed, right. in his mind, mm -hmm. in his mind, and many of the bulls' mind. But also, to his point, the bears are as resolute today as, as ever. You don't see, like Mike Wilson, yeah. um, Greg Branch, Eric Johnston at Canner, they're not coming out and well, saying, let me tell you, you what know what, the tide yeah. has turned, now I'm bullish. Let, let me tell you what, so here's how I think about it. You can have six on the outside, 18 months for Fed tightening take effect. And those have typically been on more extended tightening cycles, not what we've seen, which is 500 bips in a year, right? Not 5% in a year. So I would have thought that would have hit the market sooner and hit the economy sooner. Now, it has hit parts of the economy, undoubtedly. Uh, and China, if you're exposed to China, like energy prices, like commodity prices, it's really hit them the hardest. So if it hasn't hit yet, it's like, what am I waiting for? Well, you know, so what? that's why I've been right. putting more money you into the market. You know why it hit them, maybe, and it didn't hit us to the same degree. And what maybe well, will go what, down issues. as the great miscalculation is because when the Fed started this whole thing oh, more than a year ago, we have an economy and a consumer that were on steroids in terms of the amount of stimulus that yep. was in this system may have been even to a degree underappreciated in terms of the cushion it provided both. Clearly. You can't be where we are today without the right. consumer hanging in longer than people expected. Earnings haven't fallen off a cliff like people have expected for both of those reasons. Right, but you had a juiced up System. Right. So if you come in at 8% lower this quarter, and it's that's a top line number, right? Some sectors will be up. A lot of that's in energy, commodities, right? You had 7% last quarter. You've seen earnings estimates go from like 250, 260 down to about 200. 
So it's not like you've seen these companies do substantially better. In fact, you haven't. Aside from the NVIDIA, what you've seen is multiple expansion. So you have seen the hit to the economy. You have seen the hit to margins. But the market doesn't care. So I don't invest in the economy directly. I invest in it indirectly. I invest in stocks directly. So that's where my analysis is going. You have seen a hit, which is why the market had a lousy 2022. But to Joe's point, that's largely past, yeah. right? No, and, and it's a new paradigm. It's a new generation of investors that truly are long-term. So for all the OGs that said, I'm long-term, I'm long-term, long-term, that's not really the case typically because they position in front of the recessions and then position in the recessions as you're coming out. Shan, how about this idea? The bulls are too stuck in the past that all of the reasons that you could name as to you know, why you want to be negative this market, it's just we're at a different place. We, we seem to be in a different place. Now, we may end up having a hard landing. It's anybody's guess at this point. But it, it certainly seems like those who say the probability of that are, uh, is coming down may end up ruling the day. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the chance of a hard landing and or a soft landing, you know, I, I think that they're. There are other options now. And I think Steve made an interesting point just then. You know, you talk about the expectations for how quickly the tightening cycle will transmit through the broader economy. And, you know, I think there was this expectation that it would happen faster because of the the rapidity of the tightening cycle. I don't think we really can answer that question, Scott. I mean, there are some structural things that are keeping, as you said, the U.S. consumer engaged. It's not just the uh, the stimulus we had, it's things like, you know, where your 30 rate, 30 year mortgage rate is and the fact that you were able to grow your savings rate. I mean, we were depleting savings rate. It was down to about 2.7 percent. It's up to 4.1 percent. So although we're out there saving and spending at the same time, um, there still are the potential second and third legs of transmission. Now, what I will grant is that, again, going back to execution, if you look at the margin experience, um, we've certainly seen that compression in margins. However, you know there have been more, perhaps more levers, and certainly in certain sectors and industries, that management teams have been able to pull. And so if you go back to, well, what are we investing for in the second half of this year, You know, whether you're a bear or you're a bull, there is going to continue to be divergence. And I just want to make one more point. When we talk about the VIX, um, it's not that, it, that we're complacent. It's that the uncertainties have become more certain, and we're not sure what the next uncertainty is. And so I would be geared up for that coming out of Jackson Hole. You could see the VIX actually tick up, which could be an opportunity. So, Joe, we get Bank of America, Morgan Stanley tomorrow. We get Goldman on Wednesday. So we get more banks, and then you get some tech kicking things off this week with Netflix and Tesla. Um, so it's going to get real heavy pretty quickly. There's the calendar in terms of earnings. You got some regionals on the list, too, some transports. You see CSX there. Get some good reads into the just real granular nature of the economy, too. Yes. So what I'm speaking towards is the value, really, of active management here. Because I said before, look, 6% up, all-time high, 6% down, below 4,200. I'm not really sure which 6% we're going to grab, but I don't think it's apocalyptic. I think when you're studying financials, you learned a lot last week. You learned a lot in J.P. Morgan's report about the resiliency of being best in breed and just an absolutely fantastic quarter. But you can't dismiss what you heard from Wells Fargo, commercial real estate challenges, talking about 
mortgage conditions that are a challenge. You heard from Citi that we're seeing that consumers are building credit balances. So I'm not excited at all about the regional banks. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, well, collectively, myself included, what have we said? We said we want the capital markets play in financials. And I think one of the things that both Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley have done is dramatically lowered the expectations for earnings. If you think about what Goldman Sachs over the last four to six weeks has communicated from management, they are basically telling you trading revenues are going to decline significantly. Investment banking fees are going to be challenged. So very low bar to exceed on long Morgan Stanley. Goldman Sachs is a name I'm taking a look at. But when I look collectively in the financials, I don't see very many opportunities beyond best in breed JP Morgan and maybe, maybe in the capital markets exceeding a very low bar, which Goldman Sachs is positioned to do. Weiss, your Bank of America is the worst performer of the, the major banks. Um, I'm wondering why you think that is, whether we're going to start to see a turnaround there hmm. or not. You also have Golden, by the way, which is, you know, in negative territory by five and a half percent year to date. Yeah. So let's talk about them individually. So on B of A, B of A, I mean, I guess I should own J.P. Morgan, right? That's got the sizzle. That's got the CEO who, who does a great job in the limelight, who's just a phenomenal manager. Yeah, but right? your, your point the whole way was that Moynihan does a great job. Maybe it's just not in the limelight that Jamie gets. And I think that's true. I'm not, I'm not backtracking. I think they've done a phenomenal job. Uh, they were dealt a much worse hand, right, because they were jammed with Merrill and they were jammed with a bad bank. And then, then the Fed comes and says, hey, you know what, you got to make up for their losses. He did a phenomenal job, still doing a phenomenal job, but that's not what performance is not the only thing that makes stocks work. So, look, he takes a back seat in the limelight. Uh, and maybe that's fine, but the fundamentals are there. They've been solid. They can do it. Goldman, Goldman had some missteps, right? So the whole retail move hasn't worked out. You'll see some more write-offs there. But I'll go back to what I said, that I still think as you go down the line, their bench is the deepest in the industry. It's like next person up all the time. They've cut a lot of heads because the meta and the others weren't alone in expanding during the pandemic and hiring a lot of people pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. Now they're right-sizing, so they'll come out a lot more efficient. But let's also say, okay, if you think that, let, let's just say, take Goldman, for example. Right. You think they're going to be more efficient, right? It's their own sort of year of efficiency, yeah. whether it was their, their own doing or forced in some respects right. on them by, uh, you know, as you as you document some of the, the missteps that you say. But it, let's, let's say we think that capital markets are going to pick up. You're going to get more IPOs, M&A right. is going to pick up. Isn't now then the time to take a look at this stock? It, it is, but here, here, so be. I talk to bankers all day, every day, right? Because of private markets. And um, most of them, you know, didn't think the market, capital markets were going to open until second half of 24. Now we're seeing selectively the best get done, the ones that will be most tracked in the market, but still a small number. We're not really seeing... You'll see Microsoft in the headlines on M&A, but you're not really seeing M&A. M&A is so far down. Those are the two highest margin businesses. Those are 3 to 7% margins. We're not seeing those. So if you think they'll come back, they will come back, undoubtedly, and maybe now it's early 24. So I think, yes, now is the time to buy them, unquestionably. 
a better market is the reason that I own Bank of I'm there with you in Bank of America. Yeah. And, and I've done a terrible job in managing that position. I've stayed with it, and I'm accepting a far greater loss than I had wanted to. But one of the reasons it's correlated to your, to your view on the capital markets. I thought Merrill Lynch and the wealth management business would allow Bank of America to stand out relative to a lot of money center banks. It has not. And the whole thesis on the capital markets and a strong market return, it's not really reflected in Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and even in some of the trust banks. Last week, Northern Trust, State Street were awful. Yep. And then a lot of the asset managers, you really didn't get a strong positive performance from BlackRock coming out of their quarter as well. But I'll say this, I'd rather sit in Bank of America and wait for a turnaround than go out and buy some of the regional banks because I think very quietly underneath the service, that's not t being talked about enough. I don't think anyone wants to go near the regional banks There's right no now. reason to. The big banks are cheap enough. The regional banks, you just can see a rolling, you know, decline in the value of the loans as the leases start to mature, as refinancing has to be done over the next year to two years, the regionals are going to get killed. Shan, not excited about banks. You're underweight, the group. Well, I think Joe makes a great point here. And one of the takeaways for us out of the JP Morgan call last week is about deposit beta. And if you think about the impact of deposit beta, you know, Steve and Joe just talked about investment banking, capital markets, and wealth management. Uh, those are the three drivers right now. And there was this expectation, you know, with interest rates moving higher, that you would start to pick up, you know, a little bit of, 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 of value, if you will, from net interest income, but not if deposit betas remain as high as they are. And so then you flip over to the regional side of the equation, that's all they've got. And so, you know, I, I think that there is definitely a divergence here between large money center banks and the regionals. And I think there's even further divergence between the top tier. And I think the challenge is, is that if you get lulled in with valuation, Scott, there has to be a catalyst to deliver on that valuation. And it's hard to see that over the next couple of quarters. You know, Joe, as I'm looking now to extend it, you know, the, this earnings week to Netflix, which you own. Mm -hmm. I mean, the distance in terms of performance between Netflix and Disney at this point is so stark. Even today, you pull up both stocks today, it just shows you it's so emblematic mm -hmm. of what's happened in these two names over the re most recent period of time. Netflix yeah. is, is higher. Disney's lower. Netflix has the even in the environment in Hollywood yeah. with the writers and Two actors Hollywood both strikes. striking. Right. This stock has been able to brush that off. Now, I mean, this thing goes on for, you know, months and months and months and months. Maybe we'll see an impact here. But you've talked about the divergence between these yeah. two names. Yeah, and, I, and I've just tried to make the single point of emphasis that money will be treated better in the near term with Netflix than it will with Disney. There's so much that's needed to turn around Disney. And we know that from David Faber's excellent interview last week. And, and I kind of felt like Bob Iger was really acknowledging all the problems. It was almost like it seemed to me like he was guiding to what looks like is going to be a poor quarter coming up. He acknowledged the challenges. And there's just a more simple story in effect with with Netflix, where you have the free cash flow generation growth where you have the ad-supported subscriber growth, where you have the restoration of more quality content. Why not acknowledge that in the near term and realize that your money is going to be treated better in Netflix yep. than it's going to be in a Disney or a Paramount or a lot of the legacy media that right now looks like nothing more than a value trap. I actually think you wouldn't hear Netflix say this. 
But I think the strike's great for Netflix. Why? Because they're not spending on content. So they've got a they've got a cost of capital that goes to producing their content with what they spend, as does Disney. And it's still, to me, the best offering in streaming. So they'll still pick up the subscribers because they've got this huge storage, you know, of content. Sure, but so, everybody wants new content. Sure they I do, saw an interview with, with uh, Diller um, where he suggested, okay, that's fine. This is all fine for now right. because the content's in the can. Right, exactly. If it drags on for another six months and then you have a roll into 24 with, well, what am I going to watch well, now because there's nothing everybody. new. People may start reading again. You never know. <laughs> but, you know, you, you'll end up having a, a hit to the bottom lines uh, and further of, of some of these companies if this thing drags on and then you get into 24 and you have a, a, a lack of new content. Yeah, and then you have this this internal reflection that's obviously occurring at Disney where they're looking at the assets that they have and they're saying, okay, how can we potentially monetize it further? I mean, what's going on with ESPN at Disney is just baffling. Uh, to see the dramatic reduction in headcount, the inability to monetize ESPN as an asset, um, I, I don't understand it. They're slow to embrace gaming. They should have done that, utilizing ESPN as the center of gravity. Again, it's about complexity, and Netflix doesn't have that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We come back, Net, uh, NVIDIA's bull run. We're going to talk about that. Shares surging more than 200% this year. The street doesn't see it slowing down anytime soon either. Find out what the committee thinks next. We're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Perhaps no company has a higher bar this earnings season than NVIDIA, given its gains year-to-date and amazing guidance last quarter. Christina Partzinevelos is here with us at Post 9 as the street keeps upping its optimism around the name. I mean, a stock that's up better than 200% year to date. I know. And City was the latest to put their price target at $520 with a bull case of $600. It was really hard to find any company that w didn't have a $500 12-month price target. Truist, uh, KeyBank, the list goes on. And the argument that's being made is not only is NVIDIA uh, a first mover when it comes to these GPUs, but it's more this AI in a box, the entire ecosystem, and specifically the software that is programmable. That's going to be a major selling point for NVIDIA in the coming years, and that sets it apart from its competitors like AMD that's going to be launching an AI chip later this year, Intel as well. They're lacking that software ecosystem. The one name that doesn't come up as much but should is Meta. Meta has their own uh, AI software, PyTorch 2, that is stealing market share away from NVIDIA. Maybe hmm. not as advanced, but it is something to, to look for in the future. Joe, this is your stock. Um, the bark, I mean, it's got to be just incredibly high. 
any hiccups whatsoever, mm-hmm. do what? Stock falls back and everyone comes in to buy it who unfortunately don't own it already. I mean, uh, as I said before, we, we built in this cushion that is so remarkable underneath the market. I call it the mega cap put. Just last week, the SMH traded to an all-time high. I'm not sure that we really properly reported that. Think about that conceptually for one second. So I think IT spending, okay, the concept of what generative AI is going to do for the semiconductors, it's also going to broaden it out where it's going to increase overall IT spending. And that obviously is going to be beneficial to names like uh, NVIDIA, but to other names like Broadcom, like KLA Corp, like NXPI, mm-hmm. and like, like AMD, right, Taiwan 70. So I, I don't think you could ignore what's going on right now in the semis and just, again, pull up a chart near an all-time high. I'd right? be so surprised if, if he didn't beat the quarter. You don't come out, raise your estimates. Who's Jensen Wong? Yeah, Jensen Wong. Raise your revenue by 50% only to miss the next quarter. Well, so. I'm not worried about him missing this quarter, but you got to believe that given that kind of guidance and that kind of stock move, that the bar is going to remain high. This of is course. not a one quarter deal. But, Christina, to, to Joe's point, the SMH and its own performance is pretty darn stunning, too. Well, it, Socks is another example. It's the index for all of these semiconductors. That's at price at a 40% premium compared to the SP. We haven't seen that type of premium in a decade. But, we talked about $11 billion. That's the Q2 estimate that uh, revenue estimate that NVIDIA said. Can we see that across the board with all of these other names? Yes, NVIDIA is really aggressive, but do we see that with Marvell Technologies? Do we see that near-term benefit of the AI push? Maybe Arista Networks, because that's really a good storage name. But I just don't know how much is already priced in and then how much is actually going to uh, be shown in revenue dollars just within the next year to two years. Here's, what, here's a good one for you, yeah. real quick, and then we got to go. Mm-hmm. What is the best non-AI chip stock right now. Forget oh, NVIDIA for and me? forget Broadcom. On semi. On semi, without question. Because of the silicon carbide yes. that's used. And there absolutely is a halo effect in what you're describing. Record high today, by the for way, for all on. the semis. What about wolf speed, then, if you're going to stay on semi? That, that's, that's a good one as well. You guys want me to get out of the way so, here? Please, please. Are you feeling, are you feeling <laughs> a little well, out you've of never it? never asked. <laughs> but, Christina, the other point that has to be made is all of this good price action is occurring with China slowing down so significantly. To that point, really quickly, they're uh, lobbying, the chip uh, companies, they're reporting that they're lobbying uh, Washington right now for the export controls and meetings are going on today. All right, good stuff. I'll see you later on Closing Bell. All right, Christina Pratsanovilas, thank you very much. Let's get the headlines now from Courtney Reagan. Hey, Court. Good afternoon. Here is your CNBC News update. Officials in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, are searching for two children who were swept away in a flash flood over the weekend. Five people have been confirmed dead, including the children's mother. Severe thunderstorms are sweeping across the Northeast, affecting millions of people from Maryland to Maine. New York City Mayor Eric Adams appointed Edward Caban as the city's first Latino police commissioner. The crowd of police officers and city leaders chanted Eddie during the announcement. Caban grew up in the Bronx and is the son of a Puerto Rican transit police detective. His appointment comes about a month after the first woman to serve in the role resigned after only 18 months. And inter-Miami fans packed the stadium in Miami last night to cheer on Lionel Messi as he officially became a part of the team. Team co-owner David Beckham introduced the soccer legend to South Florida. Messi has scored more than 800 goals in his career, and he led his country, Argentina, to World Cup title this last year. Scott, I have seen one professional football game out of this country in Spain 
and Messi scored two or three goals while we were there. All right. Back over to you. Well, that's awesome. Court, thank you. That's Thanks. Courtney Reagan. Coming up, a certain type of short-term options trading is gaining steam and the ETF industry looking to jump in on that action. We got the details next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Bob Pisani. With today's ETF Edge, options trading has exploded in the last few years. And now a particular type of options trading has become popular, and the ETF industry is taking notice. Zero days to expiration options are options contracts that expire the same day that they're traded. Sophisticated retail investors are using them to make a one-day bet on the direction of the markets. The heavy flows have attracted the interest of the ETF industry, which is looking to launch new options products very soon. Do these products pose any real risk to the stability of the underlying stocks or the markets in general? Let's talk with Ed Tilley. He's the chairman and the CEO of SIBO Global Markets. Ed, uh, these zero days to expiration options are typically S&P 500 options. They're monthly or weekly options. They're principally traded on the final day of the contract. What's going on here? Why have they suddenly caught on with the investing community and particularly with the retail community? Bob, as you point out, we've had... Uh options that have expired every uh, on a single day for 50 years. The phenomenon that we're watching now is the interest in investors, both retail, institution, professional market makers like the groups that are standing behind me, uh, really want to uh, express an opinion on the shortest duration possible in the market. And those happen to be op uh, expirations that are every day in the S&P 500. So we've got really, really good uptake, a lot of interest across a broad spectrum of users. You know, it's easy to see why this kind of trading is popular, particularly with retail traders. As a retail trader, I could make a bet, as you said, a one-day bet on whether I think the S&P is going to go up or down on that day. I can sell a put. I can buy a call if I'm bullish. Uh, I get a cash settlement, and I can do it all over again tomorrow. And we know the ETF community is salivating at the chance to open more options trading ETFs in the future. But does it worry you at all that we are greatly enhancing the ways that retail traders can make short-term gambles in the stock market? And we already know Ed, that most never make money trading options. Does it worry you at all that there's so many new variables and ways to trade now? Uh, it doesn't bother me that there are many more ways to trade. I think we get swept up in generalizations when we say, you know, options don't make money. Look at the typical spread here in zeros. They're long open, which means really, really uh, identifying and limiting potential risk, or they're credit spreads. That means I buy an op one option, I sell another. Well, naturally in a spread, I'm okay if one of those legs doesn't make money. There's 50% of the open option trade not making money. That's okay. That's a winner for a credit spread. 
So we have to really watch our terminology and generalization when we look at what we're empowering investors of any size, how they want to access the marketplace. And that's what we're doing. Yeah, I want to talk a lot more about that on ETF Edge. But another subject while I have you, you've got several applications for Bitcoin ETFs to list on SIBO, including Wisdom Tree, Van Eck, ARC. There's a number of them. Can you handicap the chances for us that the SEC will finally approve the applications this time? A lot of people seem to think that this surveilling sharing agreement that you've got with the exchanges is now going to make a difference. Can you handicap the chances that the SEC is going to approve this? A difficult for us to handicap a regulator, but what we know is the regulators after really customer protection, certainly around the ability to reach in and really surveil that underlying market. In this case, uh, agreements among exchanges really add to transparency. That's what SIBO set out to do when it was the first to apply for uh, a Bitcoin ETF. So the more the, uh, the, uh, our regulators are looking for, the more we're going to give them, and the more certainty, the more transparency we can bring to the marketplace. Okay, we're going to have a lot more on how zero-day to expirations options work with Ed Tilley coming up on ETF Edge at 1.10 p.m. Eastern Time. You'll learn all about how they work. We're going to be joined by Michael Green. He's the simplified chief strategist. He's going to explain his concerns about these products, and he's going to explain to us why the ETF community is eager to get in on the action and how they're going to get in on that action. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime Report back with the call of the day next. All right, green across the board today, as you saw there. Welcome back. Let's get to our call of the day now. Not green, crude oil. There's WTI, down 1.5%. Cities Ed Morse, he's the global head of commodities. It's our call of the day, Joe. He says the bulls got it all wrong. He said, essentially, that it's just too early. Yeah. Still waiting for a real Chinese recovery. Europe's in recession, and we don't know if the U.S. is going to have a hard landing or not. That's from the legend, Ed Morse. Well, I th- <clears throat> excuse me. I think this is a great example of living in a market in the past, right? We're, we're thinking about energy. We're thinking about 2022. No, in fact, it's not. Energy so far sitting right in the middle of the yearly range between 63.64 and 83.53. What's the problem with oil? We've had the OPEC plus supply cuts. The problem with oil is the muted reopening in China. And you need China for oil to get going towards the upside. Now, EOG, Chevron, Valero, Conoco, Enterprise Products, Energy Transfer, Diamondback, Hess, Marathon, One Oak, Oxy, Exxon. 13 names. You, you have huge exposure. 13 energy names. Of those 13, of of those 13 energy names, 8%. Of those 13 energy names, nine are down year to date. Mm-hmm. The best two performers are MLPs, Enterprise Product Partners. I think you own that in the past. Yes. And Energy Transfer. Beyond that, Diamondback is working, and Marathon's working, and that's it. When so, does your rebalance the end of take the month, place? The end of July. The end of okay. July, there'll be a rebalance. Um, it is very obvious that there has been a significant deterioration in momentum in the energy sector, and we'll see what happens on that day. You know, my, my theory in energy is you can't really tell what the fundamentals are because it's just speculative-driven market. Speculators all over it. So they cloud it. I do think China is an issue, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you take a look at the high youth unemployment and getting higher, guess in what? China. In China. And guess who are the ones that lead the protests, that lead the, you know, like the Arab Spring and all that? It's the youth. So, so she has to really focus on even more stimulus in the economy. I own Freeport. 
to me, owning Freeport or owning energy, it's pretty much the same thing because they're both highly dependent on China. Right. Except Freeport also has EVs, which are soaking up a lot of supplies. Shan, um, what do you do with the worst sector year to date, which is down 7.5%? Let's take it for the view for the second half. Does it get any better? Probably not, unless the demand picture, to uh, Stephen Joe's point, improves. And if you think about earnings growth, right, we've got negative earnings growth for, for energy companies. Valuation is still not too demanding, um, but I think you're going to look for that catalyst in terms of, you know, after the last two years, taking a breather here, finding other ways to play, even if you have a, a strong view on, on the economy growing at a faster pace into 2024. All right, quick break. Come back. Mike Santoli with his midday word right here at Post 9. We're back after this. We're back, our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, sitting here on Post 9 for his midday word. Uh, so we're going to get in really into the muscle of earnings season shortly. And yep. I was just looking at yields. I mean, the 10-year the note yield is about 20 basis points lower than where it was, I don't know, a week, 10 days ago. Yeah, it was another one of those scares that has been uh, ever briefer. Every one we get uh, seems like it hasn't lasted very long. It's been a cause for a shallow pullback. It was really a one-day uh, scare from the ADP number. So yields, it seems to me, is like everything else falling into this comfortable spot, at least for the moment. Earnings, um, it's funny because the bar seems very low. Everyone acknowledges the bar is very low. So far, the numbers are coming in much better than expected. The reactions, we'll see if there's a little more of a push-pull there because obviously the market has gotten to a perch uh, that is higher than most expected uh, at this point. I think what one of the encouraging things is since the end of May, you know, you have I've seen uh, it broaden out beyond uh, the handful of stocks. Right now, it's time to ask, has belief replaced doubt too much, you know, given, given what the fundamental flow is going to be? But I don't see a lot of red or yellow flags just, just in the moment. You, you've been looking for signs of over-exuberance. Sure. Uh, how do you feel about that today? It's it's only in the, um, you know, entering that zone where you have to start to be on alert is, is the way I would characterize it. If I look at aggregate equity positioning, it looks pretty routine if we're in a bull market. That's every one of these things is like that. It's stretched if we're still in a sideways market where we just kind of have to sell the rallies, but it's really more or less where it should be if we're in an uptrend. So that's your call. That's what the call you have to make. Obviously, some of the speculative stuff has started to rip. But again, it's, it's not something where across the board mm. you say we're on tilt. Yeah. I'll see you on closing bell. All right. All right that's Mike Santoli. We're back right after this. Welcome back. We want to show you our chart of the day today, and it is Ford. Letter F. They cut the price, Weiss, on the F-150 Lightning by $10,000. Stock's down 5%. I bring it up because in a week in which we're going to be talking about Tesla earnings, a stock that's up 133% year to date, you're going to start having to entertain the, the question of whether there really is an EV player a real EV player beyond Tesla? I think GM's getting there, actually. So the issue with Ford is that they're further behind GM. So GM has a lot more models that are EV. Our own Farmer Jim, his Lyric, beautiful car, phenomenal car. Uh, Ill-suited for him because it's too advanced. But uh, Tesla, of course, is the EV player, and they're fortunate they have such a great relationship in China because that's a lot of their volume. Ford cutting prices on their top-selling, highest-margin product, that's just not a good sign. 
So if I were to play a U.S. automaker, it'd be GM. There are lots of other choices, but the other side of that for Tesla is that it's really expanded the EV market. So they'll continue to play in that. And now they've got this dynamic pricing, which will hurt margins, but it'll help units deliver it. So I wouldn't buy Tesla here. I haven't bought it for years and years. And now's not the time for me to step into it. Joe, the target gets raised to 265 from 170. Mm -hmm. uh, at Wells, they still reiterate equal weight, but again, enter entertain that, that issue of, you know, are there really multiple quote unquote legit EV plays? Because the stock market would suggest otherwise. The stock, I guess that's my point. Clearly, the stock market is telling you who the winner is. Um, we, we play this game as we approach the quarterly rebalance all the time. So Tesla is not and was not a, a put into the Joe T at the end of April like some others are. It's up for consideration at the end of July. And one of the benefits, I believe, of the strategy is that we rebalance at the end of January, April, July, and October so that we get the most recent earnings report, which we're going to get from Tesla this week, which will help me make a decision. You would actually consider adding it now when the shares are already up 130%, I mean, it at some point, momentum sort of exhausts itself mm -hmm. and takes a breather. It does. It seems to be. And a, then it starts to move again in the direction at which it initially started to move. All right. All right. Well, I guess we'll see. We will find out. We will see final trades next. Closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern. Today we have Liz Young joining us as well as Eric Woodring. Of course, he's the Morgan Stanley Apple analyst with a new positive note. We will talk to him about what's really at stake ahead of that company's earnings uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. Hope you'll join me then. Shan, before we do final trades, give me your last quick thought on what your expectations are for a very pivotal week in the market. Listen, one thing to think about, Scott, is in the June Consumer Confidence Report, for the first time since January of 22, we saw more consumers that thought stocks would be higher than lower. We've, the last time we had a period that long, Scott, November 2007 to April 2009. Thank you, Shannon. We'll see you soon. Shannon Sakoshin. All right, let's do final trades. Weiss, what do you got and, uh, and why? United Healthcare, they reported a really good quarter relative to expectations. The setup was great, very cheap. You don't get the stock at 19 times this year, 17 next. I think it's a buy here. Okay, uh, getting a little bit of uh, lift in the green today. Joe, Arch, that's you? Arch Capital Group, without question, records an all-time high today, reports earnings at the end of July, a lot further room for the upside. All right. Uh, we're at the highs of the day uh, for the most part. S&P is good for about 11 and a half points, a Dow uh, near 90. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, 
AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 